and welcome to this week's episode of Poems A Penny Each. Um, I'm going to do something different this week. Normally I would um, spend the next half hour or so, maybe less, talking about a poem that I really love and enjoy and want to share with you. Um, why I love it um, and its impact that um, it's had on, on my career or just a poem that's given me a lot of pleasure and then I'll do a close reading about it and pick out points from it as to what I think about it, how I interpreted it. The idea being to try and introduce you to another poem um, that, that you might not have heard before, although most likely you would have if you're into poetry. But also the idea is really to, to, to share with you what I got out of it, what um, I understood the poem to mean and to see if you agree or not. That's the, basically the idea of this this podcast. But as a poet, we always look for um, opportunities to shamelessly promote our own work, and that's what I'm going to do this week. Because next week, um, on Wednesday, at least I think it is Wednesday. Um, no, Tuesday. Next week on Tuesday, I'm going to be releasing my eighth collection of poetry. A book called Oxide Dula Daisy. The reason why I chose that title is because I believe that every poet should at least have at least one collection with an absolutely gibberish title that is a head scratcher um, and has people wondering what on earth they're on about. And this is mine. Um, I've released seven other collections of poetry up until then, or up until now I should say. Um, Folk Hero Midget was my first one which came out um, on, in 2001, early 2001. Then there were Dare Awards which was uh, 2009. The Spirit of Youth came in 2012, followed by Poems from Another Shore in 2013. These two books, although some of the poems in it are, are, I like, um, were written at a time when I wasn't really of the best mental health and I think it comes out across in that in, in those two collections so i kind of have a bit of a weird thing about those two books then i, I had eat not my brother which came out in 2015 little paper fishes in 2018 and quartet number one on a theme of time in 2019 and that's just one poem that i released in a book um so what i'm going to do this week actually is i'm going to read some of the poems from Oxide Dear La Daisy to, to introduce you to the, the work and to hopefully make you think of, I might buy that, but also to share with you some poems from the other collections that I really like. So that's what I'm I'm looking to do this week. Okay, so the first poem I'm going to read is a poem from my first collection, The Folk Hero Midget. It's one of my early poems when I started dabbling with the idea of actually reading poetry and it was inspired by the doors um, as you can tell by the opening um, two lines but it's also a poem about not really feeling like you belong um, of fitting in and, and at that time I really felt like I didn't fit in with the worlds that I inhabited you know my between my family and the different social groups that I was involved in so it's, it's a poem about not really belonging Ancient Highway Thoughts scattered on an ancient highway In season too little, out of season too much I don't care if I'm a square peg in a round hole I like it that way It's better being odd 
I don't even feel the cold. Maybe I'll just burn a candle. And this next poem is also from the folk here in Midget and it's called Venus I Am Yours. And it's for a girl called uh, Yana who I worked with. Um, she was this girl who worked in a shop with me and, and she was absolutely stunning and beautiful. And um, one day I saw her walking through the shop and there was a group of young lads, a group of guys were um, in the shop and they just stood there gobsmacked as she walked by and of course I gave the poem to her as a present and told her that there wasn't anything romantic in it that like you know apart from the fact that I think that she is beautiful I you know there wasn't any romantic thing there it was just a poem in admiration of her in a purely platonic way but also acknowledging the fact that at one point um people at this time these these young these young lads as we say in Ireland, looked at her and were kind of gobsmacked at her. Venus, I'm yours. She slips through crowds of lonely souls, her beauty piercing all like a burning blade, her spun like threads of silk. Beautiful one, goddess, I get on my knees for you. Smiling as she passes by, I'll stare in awe and wish to steal a kiss. Most of all I dream of such a thing, Dare I commit this blasphemy? The sun rises to show her grace, the moon at her command, rising tides to wash her feet. Precious Venus, I am yours. So that's a poem. And again, although, like I said to her, I know it's kind of romantic and all that, but it was written in that idea that, you know, as a, as a muse, you kind of romanticise about the muse, but there was no romantic Um desires or, or leanings towards her but that was the poem that I wrote for for Yana uh, Venus I'm yours it's called this next poem is from my collection there are words and it's one of those poems where it's kind of a catharsis you try to wash yourself clean of, of an old relationship uh, which kind of cause you a lot of hurt at some point and it's just a, a throwing off of the weight of somebody who you once loved but um, no longer love and you've moved on and it's called gone picking up the pieces that silence seemed to stain the wind blew like a cold breath the darkness won't remain the end is marked by sadness anticipation tinged with pain we con ourselves with comfort go through it all again and we go on Put a show on. We go on. Defeat is just suffering that's hidden beneath lies. Rebuilding the mess we've made with tears in our eyes. Yet you're the one who has hatred clinging to you like the flies. That swarms upon the carcass of something when it dies. And we go on. Put a show on. We go on. But rain clouds soon pass. And out comes the sun. The end is a beginning just before it has begun. And soon you'll be forgotten. And I'm just glad we're done. Because you used your decisions like a loaded gun. And I've gone on. And you are no one. You are no one. Now this poem was inspired by sitting one week, over the course of a week, watching a spider 
and the fly and the fly was trapped in the web and the spider did its thing with it and prepared it and then at the end of the week there was nothing left but like bits of the fly and it was kind of weird watching it but it inspired the poem anyway and it's one of my better known poems the spider and the fly there is a fly caught in a web and i sit watching with anticipation for its death death with purpose the spider's purge the sullen fly shall become a meal the hungry spider waits its silken web shall wear the fly down and then the spider shall eat it uh, this poem was inspired um, at the time i was living in wexford and there was a, a, a short burst of time where there was a number of sinkings um it's quite a seaside community there's a lot of um fishing and and all particularly down in the area around kilmore quay um in south wexford and and kilmore from kilmore quay stretching out towards the west there is like heading out towards waterford between kilmore quay and waterford there's a really lethal stretch of water which has seen so many ships sink there over the over the many centuries of of maritime activity there but at this point there was uh, i think there was three serious sinkings and one in which happened where a, a freak wave just blindsided a, a fishing vessel and uh, disappeared and the, the crew died and you know weren't and found and so I wrote this poem thinking of, of these poor souls and how how dangerous a life it is working on the sea. And the poem's called The Sea, by the way. The Sea. The sea crashed on the shoreline like the whisper of a lover telling the secrets of her deepest being to the deaf and silent land. The waves rushed in and hardened the shore. And no one dared to touch the sea, but fixed angry glares on her murderous swells, relinquished only with grudging with the cold grey morning. Heaving on her stormy breasts, men and birds alike find a living in the cold cruel mistress' hands. The sea, like a field, yields its fruit, mere morsels to keep her lovers enslaved, bound in sluggish wedlock, tempestuous cold, the men made hardy by her rage, and drunk by her salty kiss. Hearing her call when at night in their beds, or by the fire they take stock and rest, for what the sea gives, she demands a return, and for another lost lover, a candle shall burn. This poem's called New Moon Potatoes. The ground drenched, though it was, by the rain that seemed to never end, felt soft like flesh in its misery, and gave comfort to the sullen souls who lamented bitterly how this was not the way it was meant to be. Barbecue summer prophecies had not come true. There was nothing that could be made of it, but the farmer tried all the same to make the greatest stand of things. He shuffled his hands through the clotted dirt and picked spuds from the bare breast of the land, spoiled silly little things like large plump raisins, one by one he picked them up and dumped them into a bag. Todd spud, Todd spud. All to the sound of the crow calls as they circled overhead, warm hunting from the air. Todd spud, Todd spud. 
The old farmer keeps on moving. His picking of the spuds is done in robotic motion. The moist earth feels like bliss to him, and yet despite this, he laments so much that the soul of his country is gone. The people of Ireland no longer take delight in the simple things that they loved before. Now it is all about getting money, big house, big car, holiday in the sun. Ah, sure, old Ireland's dead and gone. It's with Charles Hockey in the grave. He remembers the times he says to himself that he would enjoy going to the dance, riding to the village on his bike, nervous of the girls there and if they'd dance with him all those moons ago when he could have been wed, but he put the work of the land in pride of place, his father's cold eye watching while he worked, gone now, alone. Todd Spud, Todd Spud, Todd Spud. That, that poem, the old farmer that inspired this poem, um, he was this old chap who used to live out in the, the sticks near near the village I lived in at the time, and he was a hard out working chap, but you'd see him going into to the town to collect his um pension and all that on on a little Honda fifty, and a few times I stopped by his house and would talk to him, and and sadly uh, not long after I'd written this poem thinking about him. He was murdered in his bed by someone who basically got away with robbing 50 euro. Um, but they got the guy who did it anyway. But, you know, it's, it's really sad. Poor old chap living by himself. Um, just murdered like that. So I dedicate the poem to him. I never got to know, know his name. But he was a well-known chap in the village I lived in. And so his death was a shock. And, and even though I don't know his name, I dedicate the poem to him. Okay, this next poem is also from the spirit of youth, um, and it's called Midas Interrupted. I could have been a contender. I could have made something of this world, for there was gold in them there hills, and now it lies to rust upon the ground. There was a gleam and a hope, a charade like you would not imagine. We were mad, or perhaps made, like puppets in avant-garde theatres, like a crown made from petals and leaves, falling to the ground like the broken beams of tears of trees. That is me. Oh, how that is me. Someday it will be made real. The gold of my fingers will not just be the dreams of my sleep. I could kiss you. I could hold you forevermore, forever, anon and always. I will always wait in the cold dreams of fools, with sweet fingers like honeydew on clock hands. This is my jihad. This is my holy wart. Maybe it's just ego. Maybe it's playing in the garden. But I beg you to put your fingers on. And with them touch my lips. So that I can taste you. Speaking in tongues of flame. That is the magic of you. That is the golden touch. That will fall away from me. Just like porcelain from the fingers of fools. Could I regret the forming of my ideas. As they fell from my lips. Could I have gathered the corn, the crops, the simple touch of you, the simple longing for no other than you, and all the distance that builds so blooming massive, like a walk along the broken ground, where gold once promised to grow, now is nothing but dust, ashes, panic, I could curl and die. Interrupted, this is my holy wart and boil. 
Okay. All right, so the, the next poem I'm gonna read is actually from my collection, Eat Not My Brother. And and part of that poem, um, of that book, there's a poem called This Bird's Gonna Fly, um, which was inspired by the scene in the episode of The Simpsons, you know, where, where Homer's in, is like the Beatle kind of story, the B-sharps. And they're doing an audition to replace uh, Chief Wiggum. And Chief Wiggum pretends he's um, Dr. Doolittle. And when they realise that he's actually Chief Wickham, he goes, this bird's going to fly. And then he jumps out the window. Like that line always kind of stuck in my head. It's fun. Like sometimes that happens. Just lines and clips from things kind of just get stored away in my head. And I wanted to use this. Uh, one night actually I drank some absinthe and I was like kind of like completely out there. And I wrote this whole poem and all the different sections. And there's a number of different sections in it. Um, six little bits or six separate poems that make up one poem and normally I'd read Hell from a Messed Up Generation which is a lament about the members of my um, generation the people that I went to school with that I know who got in, you know, hooked on heroin and other drugs and have died or are very very sick and you see them walking around like husks but I'm not going to read that I'm going to read two sections uh, the first and second section um, of the poem. So this is This Bird's Gonna Fly and it starts off with section one, I can tell you nothing. I can tell you nothing. I cannot even give an account of what it means to be born. To fall head first down the tubes inside my mother into an opening light of a world gone mad and getting worse. Stupidly falling into the arms of the doctor, midwife or whomever it was who caught me. For years I talked in terror about white coats and men with lights for eyes. For years the dentist caused me to feel the worst sort of fear. It was like I sort of blamed him for the whole mess. But not now. Now I know that the blasé act of giving my life was down to my parents who haunt me now in memory. They do. I see their faces and I feel a strange sense that they too were dumped into this mess like I was. So who to blame? Isn't it funny how we talk of white lights when dying, when in fact it is the primordial remembrance of the horror of being born, screaming into the light at the end of the tunnel? Section 2. That girl, she's breezy. If you ever saw her, another girl from my teenage years, you would think you'd have died or something. She was like them clouds, light and breezy. She lived down the street from me. Boy, was she breezy. I mean, she was the definition of the word when we were young. But who knows what has happened to her. Now that we have all grown up, got married or not, got babies or not, died, oh no, I hope not. That would be so sad. She was what youth was meant to be. She was its spirit. She was what youth was meant to be. Not the sad waste that I see now when I think of people from my generation. And then the poem leads into hell from my messed up generation. But uh, the girl in that section actually isn't dead, thankfully. She does have children. And I don't know if she's married or not. I don't think she is. But she's still pottering around. And actually, thanks to the wonder of um facebook and instagram i see what she's up to pretty much every day and it's cool she's still alive and i'm glad to know that because she she is still pretty awesome so that's 
that's um, two sections from this board's gonna fly. I, I, I'm quite proud of that poem. It's a bit weird to be honest, but then that's what happens when you drink absinthe. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know how to even finish that bit. I'll just go on to the next poem, I guess. This poem is called What is a Man? And actually, while it was de dedicated to um, Primo Levi, I want to dedicate it to all the victims of Hashoah and for all victims of anti-Semitism. What is a man? It is no surprise that when men are denied their rights, slowly they shed the layers of humanity until they become more like animals and beasts. Then it will be in the numbers tattooed into their skin and geometric shapes on their clothes that tell you who and what they are. This poem's called Does the Universe Smell? and it's written for Robin and Emily Stammers. They say the universe is full of smells. In fact, tests on astronaut suits have indicated this much was true. It seems, they say, that there are faint traces of metallic smells, you see. Not the stink of leather and bourbon, which emanates from my friend Robin, or the sweaty funk that lingers where my obese neighbour goes. There are, to put it quite simply, none of the rich, earthy smells that one associates with life or living. In the cold realms of outer space, there are just the smells one would find in a science lab. In other words, metals, and the faint perfume of vaporous gases seeping from stars and planets in perpetual extraterrestrial fartings. Out there, where there are strange cosmic happenings that would blow your mind, the universe, they say, is positively stinking, reeking the high heavens, you could say. Though, of course, we can never really know for sure. And that is what bothers us, humans in general, that is. We don't like being reminded just how finite we are when we are surrounded by all that marvellous infinity. This poem's called To Be A Girl. I don't know what it's like to be a girl. For being a man, I don't face the real threat that I will be robbed of an education as some girls are. I will not be objectified and told to lighten up when I spurn unwanted advances, as though the fault was mine. All the while being told how the kitchen sink or the bedroom are the only places I should be by leering, grinning wantwits who will earn more than I do for doing the same job despite my often doing it better and with more obstacles at that. Being a man, it is less likely that I will be body shamed for being bigger than society lets me be, though not impossible. Nor will I be referred to in terms of my age or whether I am married or not when I should be judged on the merit of my work as women athletes are. I do not know what it's like to be subject to all that, overlooked and looked down upon at the same time, and all because of the gender I was born, as though something that arbitrary should be held against me and hinder my prospects and rights. Um, that poem I wrote when I, um, at the time there was the, you know, big, um, kind of shock at the fact that women were like disproportionately underpaid against male colleagues in various media outlets um but you know it happens 
all over the world and at the same time there was the olympics and there was an athlete and people were talking about her in terms of her her like the fact that she was a mother or whether she was married or not and they weren't really commenting on the work that she was doing and the efforts that she had made and it was just at that time it was quite a shock really just seeing how how women were being treated and and so i wrote that poem and quite proud of it too because it sums up how i feel it's just so shocking that something so arbitrary as the the gender you're born should hinder your rights and and prospects in life so yeah that's that poem on to the next one okay so so this poem is taken from my new collection which is coming out next tuesday and it's called oxide de la daisy this poem is called morning by the river and it dedicated to my friends javen and rachel and their their son reuben morning by the river i would go to the river each morning to skim stones and sometimes to swim and there i would find shelter and comfort in the sun's early light that was dim love was a pill for the lonely a hope for what it might bring but there all alone by the river i never longed for a thing as the sun's light cut through the mist and the birds filled the air with their song i understood how i was connected to the river the birds and the throng that wake and bustle around me as they prepared for their coming day i knew i could never feel lonely for all the world felt the same way this poem is also taken from my collection oxide doula daisy and it's called the grand canal dock dublin in the heat of a summer's day in dublin the blazing sun danced, shimmering on the surface of the dark, cloudy water of the canal, reflecting sparks of light like aquatic fireworks. Nearby the sound of building works marked where old, grubby streets were being made into new, glassy wonders. Like the train station on a bridge where we saw red faces looking out sweaty and grumpy from the tight, packed-in carriages full of bursting with condensed humans as if they were in a can. There was not even standing room left, but we felt the freedom of cool air and water as we climbed scaffold frames and took the flight, unfettered and unrestrained, making bold leaps of fate into the deep water below. That poem's actually about, at one point they were doing a lot of work around Lansdowne Road and around the Grand Canal Dock, <clears throat> and building up the, the old gas works that were there into um, architectural wonders and apartments for people to live in and at that point they, there was scaffold by the edge of the canal and, and young lads and, and people from the area used to climb up and jump and dive into the, the water there it's just a memory of doing that and then watching people doing it as well back in the day Okay, this poem's called Tit for Tat, and it's about growing up in Ireland during the Troubles. Tit for Tat. When I was younger, I would laugh when the newsreader said the phrase Tit for Tat, ignoring the word killing that followed as he told the news sternly from the radio, because to me and my cousins, it was giggle-worthy to hear a grown-up say the word tit like that. But while we would laugh through our hands, 
Her parents would purse their lips and shake their heads sadly saying things like, The whole thing is terrible, those poor people. Well, when will it all end? Ah, sure, it was the others who started it. And other such statements mumbled along with talk of Dublin and Monaghan and the Miami show band. My grandmother had been there before, of course. She had seen two bloody Sundays when Crown Forces had gunned down people they called their own. So she would sit quietly and shake her head while the other grown-ups talked about it. What an odd expression, really, tit for tat, to describe men killing and being killed for nothing other than to feed bloodlust and fury, fertilising the undying hatred in the womb hearts of the women left behind. This poem is called Kestrel, and it's dedicated to a friend of mine called Arabella, who's going through an awful lot at the moment, but she owns a Kestrel and used to do um, falconry with her brother and stuff. And this, this poem's just for her. Kestrel. Hovering in the air over the roadside, its head unmoving as its body tilts and twists, the Kestrel watches a patch of tall, unkempt grass with clarity beyond their understanding. A sudden movement unnoticeable to us catches the Kestrel's attention. A vole moves in the apparent security of cover. The Kestrel waits, sees the conclusive proof it needed, and then drops taking its prey in one fell swoop. Airborne, the vole is done for. Creativity perfected into one amazing design. The Kestrel is the most wonderful little bird. Okay. <clears throat> so this is going to be the last poem that I'll read out to you. It's also the last poem in Oxide Dula Daisy and it's called Fanfare for an Odd Time. And I, I wrote this just as the whole mess of coronavirus really was taking an impact and places were going into lockdown one by one across the world. And we were hearing all this mad stuff that was happening and people were panicking and nobody knew what was going to happen. And then... Um, you just saw a lot of people online on Twitter and various places like just screaming in panic and fear and it was it was a crazy time and we look back on it and it's a crazy time because we managed to come through it because people just are always able able to just come through anything but at the time it really did look like the world was was just a mess and for a lot of people it felt like it was the end of the world almost so here it is. Fanfare for another time. The curtains pull. A ringing sound chimes like a soft bell or a musical triangle that speaks to me in its own weird tongue, which I, being a man, cannot understand nor speak. But I indulge anyway and smile. Outside, kids kick a ball and shout. Another kid cycles and shouts too. They are sort of keeping to a distance that this day last year or even last month they would not have kept, but now they do. And all grey faces at the window look out on a world filled with invisible treachery that looms large on the news as the TV screens flicker the daily death tolls as if they were football scores. The stock value of toilet paper has gone through the roof. You think it was real money now? Well, I watch from the window thinking that all the tea in China or India would not get me outside when I can stay in and lie in bed. Yet I wash my hands for the one billion time in a day and feel the coarse dryness of my hands, 
the skin now dry like old parchment stretched out for a book i almost hear a creak and groan my skin fickle friends them my dry dead hands bono did a song a nice gesture but for who did it and everyone is giving him jip now and calling him out for tax evasion tactics hypocrisy and you can get why they are mad and say those things but it was a nice gesture all the same and all artists are egos with legs and will use the material they have it's the greatest rule of writing so i don't blame him too much for trying but it's a fair point that he is not paid his way and the health service could do with the cash but some of the people dissing him are english and that makes it something else so lots of people from ireland who would normally detest him stick up for him because he may be an egypt but he is our egypt and they can lay off him so and what about jared leto and his coming out of a retreat in the desert to discover the virus that was ruffling feathers 12 days ago detonated and has blown up the whole board now leaving in its wake a weird sort of living without baseball and concerts and schools closed down and trump blames china and some say it was a manufactured thing made by governments to kill off the old and sick to save money and it has backfired like hiv and aids backfired on them and all the bodies the bodies the bodies are building but a vaccine is coming we hope we wish we pray because we outwar the politicians say and the national interest and the money lost and the bodies the bodies the bodies are massing mass graves and then mass suffering we are living in odd times play a fanfare strike up the band who knows when we'll hear it again not for a while it seems but that's the way it goes life and living nowadays while politicians flip-flop on the virus and then deny what they said before telling us to drink down bleach and sit in the sun and doctors have to mop up the messes made by them while people clap and ignore advice to keep a sensible distance to show their support blind to how they are risking things more but you can't tell them everyone seems to think that it won't get them flattening the curve and zoom calls weddings and funerals and not enough testing and who knows what will happen it's enough to make you anxious enough to make you laugh it's a funny old world isn't it uh, so um thank you very much for for listening to me read out some of my poems and share with you works that i've done over the course of my poetic career and also poems that are part of my new collection um oxidula daisy it comes out on tuesday and will be available from all other booksellers next week the podcast goes back to the usual format so i hope to see us then well that brings us to the end of this week's episode of poems of penny each as you know obviously it was a special episode in which we did something different um i again want to remind you that my book oxidula daisy comes out on tuesday and will be available online at amazon and other booksellers um and if you feel like buying it i would appreciate that very much because i'm very proud of the poems that are in it and it's a good wee book um next week the show will go back to the usual format of discussing one poem and doing a close reading um, a method which actually I do a, a really poor example of, but if you want to have a good example of how to do a close reading, I strongly urge you to check out the Modpo course, which is on Coursera, and it's run by Alfel Reese and the gang at the Kelly Riders' house. 
it's a fantastic course and if you love poetry it will really develop your ability to take your reading of poetry to another level um i'll have links to that course again in my show notes i hope everyone that's listening takes care of themselves stay safe and until next week it's a slan and that means it's a slan goodbye from me take care bye